Hello, party people. This is the Just Ideas podcast. My name's Andy, and today I'm interviewing a listener. If you've been keeping up with our latest Strawhead series, you'll remember that in Strawhead 3, Dr. Yurik shared that hilarious story about how he had his light bulb burn out in his headlight and he couldn't get the bulb and it was expensive and it was the wrong bulb and he had the car all taken apart and put together back again. Well, we had a listener reach out about that experience and he had a conviction about it. And he actually said that there's more to that story in the grand scheme of things. And it's something that he actually keeps up with. Well, that listener is Patrick Brophy, a software engineer, an editor of the Just Ideas book, the voice of the old box drop stilly ad. And as you may have pieced together, it's my older brother. The topic Patrick is interested in is called the right to repair. Patrick, what is the right to repair? Well, uh, first of all, thank you for having me, Andy. Um, <laughs> no problem. Really, really appreciate the uh, opportunity to get to speak about a subject that you know I've got a conviction about. Yeah. Um, so yeah, what is right to repair? You know, at a high level, it's basically we believe that you purchased a product, you own it, and therefore you have the freedom to do with it whatever you want, including deciding how it gets repaired and who repairs it. Um, you know. Maybe you're a DIY fixer and you want to repair it yourself, or uh, maybe you're not so confident in your abilities and you need to take it to a shop. Well, you know, we're totally glad that you want to do that either way. Uh, it's just that there's been a culture shift to where uh, we have to take things back to the manufacturer when they need to be repaired or just replace them rather than trying to fix it ourselves or even take it to a third party shop where the quality of service may be the same or even better than going back to the original manufacturer. And, you know, in uh, Dr. Yurik's story, uh, he was able to exercise his right to repair by working with O'Reilly's and that third party shop, you know, the oil change place uh, instead of the dealer in order to uh, get his headlight repaired. And if you'll remember, uh, he went to the dealership at one point to get the bulb they sold him the thing. It was like 30 bucks, takes it to the oil repair shop. Oh, that's the wrong bulb. <laughs> you know, yep, it just goes yep. to show you that quality of service isn't necessarily, you know, top notch, even when you're going to the dealer, but O'Reilly's figured it out and the oil shop figured it out. So it's very important that we, uh, that we protect our right to repair uh, and give ourselves options as consumers. Sure. And that, that makes sense to me. I mean, so far so good, but you know, you just said Dr. Eric had the right to repair, but I guess you're trying to peddle this idea that we don't always have the right to repair our stuff. I mean, are there any examples where people like don't get that chance like Dr. Eric had? Frustrating yeah. as it may have been for him. I mean, he got it done. That's true. Yeah. Uh, but right to repair is coming into uh, the common. Um... Man, I am really. <laughs> I will say I here. saw before we came on, we had our. Uh, for the record, Patrick and I's pre-production meeting, um, it was longer than every single <laughs> pre-production meeting that Dr. Yurik and I have had over three years collectively. So I will, I'll, we got to give him some grace here. You can't find his word, but I saw him pour an entire pot of coffee into a mug and I only gave him about three steps before we jumped onto the mics. So <laughs> it's okay, Patrick. Um, I'm sure by the end of this, you're going to be so wired and talking so fast. It'll be insane. Cause I saw that pot of coffee go into that mug. <laughs> oh, well, thank you for the disclaimer. And yeah, apologize in advance if I start to get uh, all jittery. Um, <laughs> no worries. But 
anyway, getting back to it, yeah, uh, right to repair is really coming into the public consciousness consciousness now because uh, a lot of large companies are actively lobbying against legislation that would protect consumers' right to repair. Hmm. And the reason they're doing this is they realize that if they can uh, prevent laws that give consumer options, then they stand to make massive profits because uh, if, for example, uh, you know, the auto industry is able to uh, make it so that you only have the dealership as an option for repair. Well, uh, you know, Dr. Yurik would have had to take his car straight back to the dealership where he got the incorrect bulb, pay the wrong price, get the wrong repair. And, you know, it's a lower quality of service than the third party shops. But now the third party shops aren't an option. So, mm. yeah, that's that's why uh, I and others uh share this conviction about making sure that the consumer option is protected. And so that, that you sound very morally right, you know, but like, why, why, why do I care? You know, like seriously is, you know, you're the one with the conviction. I didn't have the conviction until you put the bug in my ear, but why, why does anyone care about their right to repair? I mean, make it relatable here. I mean, what I mean, I'm not always interested in bringing my car in, you know, I rarely does my car even have an issue, you know, thankfully for that, but they're like, what's going on here? I mean, why do I care? Yeah, well, you know, it's not just in the auto industry. It's across every single industry that you can possibly think of. Uh, another very popular uh, industry that, you know, the giants are anti-right to repair is in the technology space. Uh, they're actively de designing their devices so that it is difficult for consumers to repair them, uh, you know. A great example is Apple pretty much says, hey, if you didn't get this repaired at the uh, Apple store, then your warranty is voided. And I mean, something that's interesting about that, voiding a warranty over a third party repair has been illegal under the Mag Mag Magunson Moss Warranty Act. You did uh, good with that. I wouldn't <laughs> have been able to pronounce that one. <laughs> uh, one of the protections under that act is uh, that... It's illegal to void the warranty because the owner had it repaired some by someone other than the original manufacturer. And if they believe that that repair caused the problem, then it, it they bear the responsibility of proof, not the consumer. Gotcha. Interesting. So we have that. We, you know, we got the auto industry. There's other industries, you know, Apple products. I'm thinking, you know, you and I are both uh, different <laughs> from everybody else and that we both have Androids. Um, which we'll get a lot of flack online for, I'm sure. Um, but you know, all my friends, you know, they have iPhones, you know, they have the MacBooks and all that. And I think I'm also different in that I've like taken apart my old phones and I've taken apart my old computers and all that to like fix them. Um, was your help involved? Yeah, absolutely. But you know, they don't have that option. And so for them, you know, they're like getting a new phone, it slows down, it doesn't work, you know, something gets busted on their laptop and their frame of mind is not just, it's not, I wish I could repair this and I can't. It's, oh, well, I'll just go and buy a new one. Um, and then that old, maybe laptop, that old phone, that old product, it just gets, you know, cast aside. And it's not even a thought. It's just, oh, I need a new one. Like, okay, write the check, take care of it. Um, is this like emblematic of how we treat, of how like our mindset is about our relationship to our, you know, things? 
Oh, yeah, I absolutely think it is. Um, you know, I mentioned earlier, there's been a culture shift. And a lot of that is that, you know, the public has been much more willing to uh, view things as disposable that previously we never would have thought as disposable. You know, you mentioned, uh, you know, you, your smartphone isn't running as well anymore. So let's just throw it away and get a new one. Well, you know, you go back uh, before we had smartphones and we had replaceable batteries and people would bother doing a factory reset to get another, you know, six months to a year out of that device. But nowadays it's very common to just go and buy the new flagship phone every year. And what happens to the old one? Well, in the trash or at least in the, in the drawer, in the back of the, back it's, of the nightstand. Yeah. It's so funny. I'm so used to talking to Dr. Yurik that I swear sometimes I think about things he would say just because I've been, I've known him for three years now. We have conversations constantly. And I, I swear what he'd be saying right now is if you take your old phone and put it in a drawer, which I do. And I say, for me personally, I say, I'm going to keep this in the drawer. And if I break my new phone, I'll just go back to my old phone. And I swear something he may say would be, it would be if you have to have your old phone on standby as like a backup, then why'd you spend the money on a new one? Like just keep using the same phone. But it, it's to me and probably you, well, maybe not to you, but to a lot of people, it's like, well, no, the new phone came out. It's been two years and I think I ought to have a new one, even though the old one literally works fine. It's in a drawer on standby. <laughs> Dr. Yurik would have a fit with that, I'm sure. Um, how do you see that? Oh, man, you know, I, I totally agree with you that Dr. Yurik would have a, a field day complaining <laughs> about that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, so for one thing, something that I haven't addressed so far is uh, some people seem to get the, um, the, the wrong impression that right to repair means that it's repair isn't a mandate. Mm. We, we don't want to like force people to repair their own products. Uh, we just want them to be allowed to, uh, you know, seek out repair however they see fit, whenever they see fit. And, you know, if it has been the two years and you're thinking, man, this thing, this phone is useless uh and it's broken well i i could repair it but i'd rather have a new one you know we want you to have that option um, absolutely and also even if it's not broken you know sometimes phones just don't keep <laughs> up with the latest software um but yeah it kind of leads me into another topic about how it affects the environment oh um, okay because if you are constantly buying the new phones instead of, you know, repairing or reusing your phones, then that's just going to contribute to a lot of extra, um, extra electronic waste. And honestly, that's something that affects every, uh, everything that you buy. You know, the more you buy, the more waste you're going to end up with later. Um, and so everyone knows the saying, reduce, reuse recycle. Oh yeah. But yeah, something that a lot of people don't think about, including myself, is that order is important. There's a reason we say reduce first, then reuse, finally recycle. And uh, I heard Linus Sebastian, uh, I know you are familiar with him, but for anyone who's not, uh, he's the CEO of media production studio, Linus Media Group. Um, and he was talking about it on his popular YouTube channel, Linus Tech Tips. Um, and explaining that, uh, you know, it's in this order because it takes the least amount of effort uh, and energy to reduce our consumption, consumption 
So you're saying the order is important, reduce, reuse, recycle? Yeah, absolutely. The order is important because it takes the least amount of effort and energy to reduce our consumption as compared to reusing or recycling what we've already purchased. Sure. Um, you know, if you're reusing something, that means that you've already done the consumption of it. Um, however, next, you know, reusing old products is a great way to give them a longer lifespan and help to keep them out of landfills. Uh, and finally, recycling should really only be reserved for things that are completely beyond their useful lifespan because it takes a lot of energy, creates a lot of pollution, especially compared to just reducing our consumption or reusing everything that we already have. Gotcha. Um, so you're kind of saying, I want to make sure I'm clarifying the point, you know, because if people are just so unfamiliar with right to repair and all this, I want to make sure I kind of have a, an arrow that pierces through the conversation that says like, this is, this is what's going on. This is the issue. So if I'm understanding it correctly, there are companies out there that are actively making their products. Um, and you correct me if I'm wrong after this, um, that are actively making their products in such a way that makes them difficult or impossible to repair so that whenever their life kind of reaches its end, um, you're almost forced as the consumer to have to purchase a new product to keep going on business as usual. And it used to be, as Dr. Yurk might say, in the good old days, that you'd have a product that you know might get worn down, but you'd always have this option, maybe an affordability to repair the product, keep it going, and you know thus keep reusing the same product. And companies weren't trying to be maybe sinister, perhaps, in saying, how do we get these people to continue to buy the new phone. It was just, we want to sell them a phone and make sure they're a good loyal customer. We'll help them fix it up along the way. But now it's different. They just want to kind of, they want to reach a little deeper into our pocketbooks and have us buy new stuff and perpetuate this culture of throwaway culture. Am I, am I articulating that right? Uh, absolutely. Yes. Uh, and this is something that permeates every industry. Uh, I mean, if you think about the way cars are designed today, you know, 30 years ago, they're designed, you can change your brakes, you can change your oil, your air filter gets dirty, you know, change that out. Hey, sometimes there's a big mechanical problem. You can get in there, replace your alternator or whatever if you need to. Uh, but the cars of today, frequently you look under the hood, there's a giant plastic thing covering the whole engine. Maybe you can get <laughs> to the oil if you're lucky, but it pretty much just says, bring it back to the dealer if you need anything at all. Or especially with the advent of electrical cars and how those are becoming popularized, that requires a different skill set than traditional mechanical engines to work on. And, uh, you know, Tesla's by far the biggest competitor in that space. And uh, they, their approach to it is very much just bring it into a Tesla dealership. We're absolutely not going to make any materials available so that people can learn the skills they need to work on these types of cars. Mm, interesting. Interesting. Yeah. So they don't even have a shot, you know, maybe like if you were a, an 18 year old and you wanted a, uh, a trade to learn and you love Tesla, you love electric vehicles, you wouldn't necessarily even have the option right now to get into like a classroom, like a Tulsa tech or, you know, one of those trade schools to say, Hey, they have some of the equipment we're going to learn how to, I don't even know, I'm going to botch these words up, but like fix up an electric engine. You know, I don't know if that's right. That probably sounds naive, but like they don't even have that option right now. And Tesla, you know, they're like, oh, we're happy to help. We're happy to help. But I guess they're a little bit, you know, mischievous in that way where it's like they control that revenue. You know, it's like you can't go to um, 
Joe's electric vehicle workup shop down the road, you got to go to Tesla, you know, and they'll be nice to you. They'll help you out, but they control that revenue. They control the revenue and they control all of your options. You, mm. Like you mentioned, you don't get to go to Joe's down the street because only Tesla can do the work on these cars because they control the information required to know how to work on these cars. And not to get too much off on a tangent, but specifically with them, uh, they have a huge problem where the demand for service on their cars is significantly higher than they are set up to accommodate. And so it is frequently months long waiting lists just to have an appointment to bring your car in. Oh my gosh. Wow. Wow. You know, it's, it's funny. I, I was listening to a comedian on his podcast lately and he was, he was kind of taking the opinion of like Tesla's are, um, you know, I guess maybe boring or, <laughs> you know, I, I was watching TikTok, so my thought is mid, you know, which if you're an older listener, just means I think like below average or not even average because he was taking the opinion that like everyone's got a Tesla now. That's not that's not a cool car. Everyone's got that, you know. And so I do wonder it, this is, of course, an aside, but um, if Tesla will not be as popular or if they'll have to do something new or different, because right now, you know, to stay relevant, because right now they can sell base model Teslas and you can drive a base model Tesla you know, color white down the road and people are turning their heads, you know, whereas, you know, take an Audi or, you know, maybe, you know, a Corvette and they have to continually be innovative stylistically, you know, and all that to stay cool, to keep people's heads turning. But right now Tesla's had the luxury of like, yeah, I just turn my head because it's a Tesla, not because there's anything neat about it. But I wonder five, 10 years, if they'll have to start, you know, adding some tricks to them or adding some stylized tips to them to say, Hey, we're still cool. We're still relevant. Even though everyone, you know, seemingly has one these days. That is an interesting point for sure. Uh, I think probably the the biggest thing going for them there is that Teslas have become the new status symbol car. Mm. Uh, you know, if you want to look cool to be, to your peers, you either buy a Tesla or a G wagon. You know, <laughs> it's so true. It's so true. That's and that's another thing Doctor York has a, a fit about. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'd like, I know he doesn't, I'd like to think he drives like a 1999 Honda Civic, you know, like that does feel like uh, the kind of car (laughs) someone like him should be driving. Hey, if it works, why am I buying a new one? He should be. He should be. If you're a Dr. Eric hater, that's where you say he's a hypocrite. He's a hypocrite, which is still (laughs) fun. Um, Okay, cool. So yeah, I mean, I get you with these principles of reduce, then reuse, then recycle. If you've read, I'm not going to spoil anything, but if you've read the last chapter of my book, Just Ideas, then you know that for me, it's about food waste. And that's more my conviction, you know, maybe not the tech space as much um, until I, you know, continued to learn about it with you. But for me, it was food, you know, and for other people, you know, reducing how much I buy at the grocery store to start and then reusing, like, you know, you can take kale, right? And you take off the leaves of kale and then you have these kale stocks. Well, put those in a pan and cook them like you would asparagus. And so you're still kind of like reusing an ingredient, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then finally recycle or compost in that situation. But it's also true for the fashion industry. You know, a lot of people have been hearing these buzzwords of fast fashion, you know, and I think it's companies like Zara and there's another one and people like buy these clothes and they're very cheaply made. They're cheap clothes to buy. You know, you wear them once or twice for an Instagram look or something, or you wear them once or twice out and a string pops off on the tank top or whatever. And it's like, okay, throw it away. You know, uh, you don't even maybe bother to donate it because it's torn. And okay, next is Zara Hall, next hall. And it's just people are constantly like getting rid of stuff. And I feel like in the good old days, you probably had two outfits and you just sewed them back up every six months. And they were made out of strong, sturdy, hot material, probably, you know, wool and things like that. But that's not the case anymore. And I think it's indicative 
of our culture on the whole, you know, and I think it stems a lot from your issue of right to repair is that we don't even get the chance maybe. And we certainly don't get the desire because no one's helping us understand the value in repairing our things or reusing our things. And so we just get into this throwaway culture overall. And I know you have some thoughts about that. So what do you think about how this reflects our culture? Yeah, well, um, we are becoming more and more of a consumerist society. And that's not to say that I believe consumerism as a concept is bad. It's just that we are heading towards an extreme where we tend to throw out anything that is mildly damaged or uh, just out of date and buy a new one instead of, you know, trying to get some more lifespan out of our products. You know, you mentioned fashion. Um, being a tailor used to be a hugely respected profession. Now think about all of the tailor shops you've ever seen. What do they do? They pretty much just, you know, uh, adjust your fancy clothes, your suits and black tie attire. Um, but it used to be very common to take your clothes there. Like, Oh, Hey, my jeans got a tear in them. I guess I'll take them up to the tailor. Maybe I'll even, you know, stitch in a patch myself. But, but yeah, nowadays, like you're saying, just get a new pair, throw away the old one. That's so funny. It really is. And it's not absurd. It's not absurd to think, okay, I'll take all my clothes from the, like my summer collection, right? If we're in winter, which we're recording this in spring, of course, but let's say I take my summer clothes that I have packed up. Some of them are ripped. I'll bring them all to the tailor, drop them off, give them a month or however long, and then bring them back. And, you know, I have a repaired, refreshed collection, but it, it does. That's not absurd, but it sounds absurd because no one would even think to do that. You know, I mean, tailors, of course, for your black tie and your suits and all that. But man, I, I don't even know where there is a tailor in Oklahoma City. I have no clue, but I kind of wish I did. And, you know, say, hey, I ripped my jeans because I did. And now they're sitting in my drawer. And I don't have any plans on bringing them out because I'm like, well, they're they're ripped. So what am I going to do? But shoot, now I'm going to my tailor. Thanks, Patrick. <laughs> hey, glad I could help you out there. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you know, um, this whole idea of uh, you know not wanting to repair things, it's, it's a cultural thing that, uh, you know, it was called out 90 years ago. 90 um, years ago. Yeah, you know. Knowing you being my brother, one of your favorite <laughs> books, A Brave New World, published Wonderful. in 1932. Okay, so yeah, 90 years ago. Yeah, uh, I'm sure you're familiar with the quote, the more stitches, the less riches. It rhymes, so I couldn't forget it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, you know, Huxley wanted uh, to warn us about the future in that book, you know, this dystopian future that's treating society as just a means of profit, profit rather than people, you know, mm. they're uh, encouraged and even brainwashed to buy new clothes rather than repairing their old ones to keep up their appearances. Yeah, true. And, you know, that's why I love literature in general is, um, and I'll never, I probably have said this on the podcast before, but it's just something that stuck with me that Dr. Eric said, um, is that he said, you look at nonfiction, you go into a bookstore and you see one book about Ronald Reagan, nonfiction, you see a book right next to it, Ronald Reagan, and it's nonfiction by a different author but two different people and they have two different opinions. And so you get two totally different accounts of Ronald Reagan. And so it's like, oh, okay, that's nonfiction, even though they you know, combat each other perhaps. And then you have fiction, like A Brave New World. You know, Dr. Yerk argues that we should flip those labels, fiction and nonfiction, because Brave New World and all its peers in the literature world, you know, you got One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, 
Catcher in the Rye, so on and so forth. They pierce through time, 90 years, and they're still true. They're still indicative of how humans work. They're reflective of our ideas and our nature. And he says that should be nonfiction because it's still true. You know, it's commentary, sure, and it's but it's true over the years. Babbitt is something I referenced in my book, and it's 100 years old. And you could read it today and say, that's what's going on. So tell us more about how this works in, because I haven't read Brave New World since high school. So tell me more about how that fits in with right to repair, consumerism, all that. Yeah. So, uh, you know, right to repair is a lot about giving consumers the choice to repair their products as they see fit and trying to combat the culture that is saying, oh, well, you know, it's not a good look to have repaired things. And the culture is really supporting the consumerism. And, you know, Huxley was telling us 90 years ago, hey, you don't have to keep up appearances. It's totally fine for you to be, you know, repairing your things and doing what makes the most sense for you. Um, you know, let's, let's try to nip this in the bud and not let the culture get to that point. And yeah, here well, we are 90 years later, <laughs> he didn't do so well. <laughs> he yeah. didn't do so well. That's really cool. The more stitches, the less riches, you know, I mean, literally we're just talking about my jeans and it's like, if I stitched up my jeans, the more and more, the less riches, um, not for me, because I would keep my money, right? I wouldn't spend it on new jeans, the less riches for society, right? Because then they can't sell me you know, old Navy, which I I'll shop there until the day I die. Maybe I'll upgrade to gap. <laughs> and then th- this is, this is my, these are my socioeconomic goals in life. It used to be like, Oh, I want to be as you know, senior vice president. I want to be CEO. I want to make this much amount of money. No, I've thrown all that out in the last two years. These are my new socioeconomic goals. I will start at old Navy. I will then make enough money to regularly shop at the gap. And then I will finally make enough money to shop at Banana Republic for khaki pants and blue (laughs) shirts and button downs. But the funny part is, and I think it's poetic, is that, of course, one holding company owns all three companies, right? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Oh, man. Well, Patrick, I want to give you the final word. Is there anything else you want to say where you're like, ah, Andy talked too much. I wish I could have said this or maybe just a parting word. I'll throw it back over to you. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Thank you. Um, No, just just a parting word, you know. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, there are lobbyists that are trying to block uh, legislation that would protect right to repair. And there is something that we can all do about that, and that is to contact our politicians. Uh, repair.org does a great job of making it super easy uh, to figure out how to contact your politicians, write them a quick email. It'll take like two minutes. You can go to repair.org slash stand up. Uh, I believe we'll have that linked in the description of this episode. You got it. Yes. All right. Yeah. Well, so I'm just a small call to action. Please email your politicians. <laughs> let them know that right to repair is important to you. Um, and that's uh, that's where I'll leave it. No, I appreciate that. Yeah. Keep learning more. Keep discovering new things. It's always fun to talk to someone that's got a perspective that I definitely didn't have. I didn't even realize was a thing. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. I was I was a culprit of it. Right. I got my genes right there that I'm not going to do anything with. But maybe now I will. Um, if you're a listener of the Just Ideas podcast, like Patrick is, Patrick's always been one of my biggest supporters ever since I started podcasting. 
if you're a listener and you are like Patrick in that you have a conviction or Dr. York said something and you're like, hey, there's more to that story, then reach out to me. Uh, you can reach out on LinkedIn, Andy Brophy. You can reach out on Instagram. You can reach out my email, andy.brophy26 at gmail.com. Reach out and then, hey, maybe we can have a conversation. I've been trying to add this to our episode repertoire. You know, we, of course, uh, launch a new episode every other week. So this episode will come out on one of those off weeks. Um, to where you can always have something to listen to. But for just ideas, my name's Andy Brophy.